0: So we're coming to the end of our series that we've entitled In God We Trust. And uh, we're going to find ourselves in in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and 16. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our passage in the Pew Bible or the Chair Bibles in front of you on page 961 and 62. Pages 961 and 62. And for the last uh, couple months, uh, we've been in a series looking and trying to understand and to recognize how incredibly faithful and trustworthy God is. That we can rely on Him, not only with our eternal life, but all of everyday life. All of who we are, all that we have, we can put into the hands of a faithful and trustworthy God who promises to take care of us and to give us all that we need because of Jesus Christ. But as we come to the last two weeks of the series, we have heard over and over again on how faithful God is, but there's been an idea rolling around in my head from a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, we are told in verse 8, uh, Jesus is telling the story of the persistent widow. This widow had an issue, this widow had a concern, and it involved a legal matter. We're not told exactly what it is, but she's gone to a judge and she has sought for the judge to side with her. And she never stops, and she never grows tired until she gets the judge uh, to uh, side with her on whatever issue she was facing. And Jesus takes that persistent widow, and He tells His followers that this is what I want in my followers. I want faithfulness. Just as our God is faithful... God is calling each and every one of us to be faithful. And faithfulness is this idea of dogged persistence. That when the going gets tough, faithful people get going. They don't run, they don't cower in fear, they stand resolute, waiting and doing all that they can until uh, the judge, if you will, God has sided with us. And he says this in the passage in Luke 18.8. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back, he says, will he find faithfulness on the earth? Will he find you and I as faithful individuals? You see, we've talked about God's faithfulness and how faithful God is in the big things of our life and in the small things of life. Now we turn the page and we ask the question, how faithful am I back to God? How trustworthy am I when God has called me to a particular plan or purpose? How faithful am I at accomplishing the work that He has given me? Now, faithfulness is not a word that we hear too often these days. We're going to go to the election voting booths here, and we've been promised a lot of things by our politicians. We've been promised a lot of, of guarantees, if you will. And if you've been around the political cycle long enough, you know a lot of times whether it's their fault or not, whether they were being disingenuous or not. Uh, our politicians many times find themselves struggling with staying faithful to some of the promises they made on the campaign trail. And yet, faithfulness is something that still in our world is something that we uphold. When a person has worked for many years at a particular place, we stop and we commemorate and we celebrate their faithful service by giving them some sort of watch or or certificate. Or when I talk to a, a, regards to a pet, many of you will say, my dog is old and ugly, but at least he's Faithful. And then who can forget, one of the greatest uh, landmarks in the United States is a water spout. It's not very big, it's not very powerful, but in the middle of Yellowstone National Park is a geyser. And it's not known for much except for its faithfulness, like clockwork. It spouts off, and we call it old faithful. You see, faithfulness is something that uh, people desire because it's dependable it can be counted on and many of us this week have proven as I have uh, that I have been faithless faithless first of all in being in the baptismal tank when I was supposed to now we can laugh about that and say you know those things happen but some of us have been faithless in larger things some of us have let down others in relationships some of us have been unfaithful in our marriages and in our parenting some of us have been unfaithful in our jobs some of us have been unfaithful to friends some of us have been unfaithful in 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 paying back loans or or certificates that we said and promised that we would but none of that as great as those Areas of faithlessness are none of those can even come close to our faithlessness to God you see the Bible says though he is faithful we he says are faithless the God who has promised and has allowed his promises to be true each and every time when he looks at humanity he sees a faithless group of people And who can blame him? We speak a lot of great things. We articulate, the Bible says, we boast many things with our mouth, but we don't back them up with action. Peter, one of the closest companions of Jesus, promised that all may fall away, all may turn away from you, Jesus, but I will remain faithful. And we know how that turned out, don't we? you see faithlessness is a problem but on the day of God's return when Jesus comes back to take us into eternity he has a question when I come will I find faithfulness on the earth what he's asking is is when I come at a time of uh, of no one's knowledge only the Father in heaven knows when that time will come When He comes to earth, will He find us busy working, doing the faithful job that He has called us to? And if that's the question by which we'll be evaluated at the second coming of Jesus Christ, surely we should ask the question, what does faithfulness look like? And for some of us as Christians, we would say that faithfulness is just a religious duty. That faithfulness is something that we need to do as Christians only on a Sunday. But the Christian life involves faithfulness in all aspects of life. But what does faithfulness look like for us? What does faithfulness involve? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is talking to a church that's giving him a lot of problems. In many ways, the church in Corinth is a teenage kid driving his parents crazy lot of potential lot of opportunity but just seemingly crazy mistakes being made and paul heartbroken over what is awesome potential being left by itself paul speaks words to them in one of his longest letters that he writes to any church He has spoken on a myriad of things, putting the church in order. But he finishes in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says, Listen, I want you to know the most important thing as Christ followers is the gospel. Because the gospel is going to change every aspect of who we are. And at the heart of the gospel is us trusting God to do what he says that he's going to do. It is trusting God that he has done what he says he has done. And on the hinge of that door of the gospel for each and every one of us is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says, "...for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture." that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And then he says, listen, not only was he raised, but he showed himself to all kinds of people. The gospel has no merit in our life if it isn't for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we come to the question, as the Corinthians do, well, okay, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. What does that mean for Jesus? And what does that mean for us? And Paul in chapter 15 starts talking about, starting in verse 12, what the resurrection looks like. He talks about the days after that resurrection Sunday and what Jesus was like and what he did. And we can learn much about the resurrected life from this passage. But then the question comes up that Paul addresses is the question, what happens to us when we die? What happens to us when we are buried? And in verses 12 and on of chapter 15, now he says that we've proclaimed as raised from the dead Jesus Christ. Some of you have said there's no resurrection of the dead. And the question is, what about us? What happens to us? And I want you to know God, once again, is faithful. He has an answer. That when death comes to any one of His children, there is a resurrection that will take place. And it's the great hope that we have as Christ followers that one day... We will not remain in the grave, but one day Jesus will come and He will raise us from the grave and He will receive us back to Himself where our uh, souls and our bodies will be reunited and our bodies will not be these lowly bodies anymore, but resurrected ones. And and at the end of the passage, what He articulates is then, well, how is all this going to happen, you ask? And He begins to tell us, and in chapter 50, through chapter 16, verse 4, we learn some things. And I want to look at this passage this morning under three headings of what I believe it means to be faithful. And some of the promises that God has been true to now will then move us to respond in a faithful way ourselves. So let's look at our text this morning, starting in verse 50. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through chapter 16, verse 4. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." then they will accompany me. Let's pray. Father God, our prayer is simple this morning. Find us faithful. You have been so utterly faithful to us. You have ministered to us in moments that we know. You have ministered to us in moments that we're not even cognizant of. You are faithful in each and every morning. You are faithful in giving us and all of humanity, all that we need for life. And Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ, You have been faithful to not leave us in our sin, but to give us Jesus, who cleanses us of sins and makes us righteous in You. So now, Lord, because of Your faithfulness, I pray we would be a faithful people in our response, in our walk with You, so that we may honor You in all that we say and do. We love You, Jesus, and we give You the praise for it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to look at three headings this morning of what it means to be faithful. And I want us to think through how we can be faithful in our walks with god and it isn't so much do 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 but it's recognizing a couple things number one we need to if we want to be faithful we need to recognize god's mystery we need to recognize god's mystery notice in chapter or chapter 15 verses 50 through 53 we are told in verse 51 i tell you a mystery paul says listen i want to tell you something that seemingly isn't altogether that clear. Maybe it's eluded you for some time, he says to the Corinthians. But he says, listen, I want you to know there's something that is important for you to know. I want to give you the inside track so that you will be prepared for any contingency that takes place. And think about it for this, in this way. What Paul is about to do is he's going to give you Thursday and Friday's NCAA results on Wednesday. He's going to say, listen, I'm going to give you the inside track. You will know all the upsets. You will know all the scores so that you may prosper in your desire to win the pool That you've entered yourself into right what Paul is saying is listen I want to give you inside information in a way that will prosper you in life and and notice what he says I tell you this brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God now right away we have to ask the question what does he mean there well we know what he's saying is that the resurrection needs to take place but there's a broader truth that I think is so important to us with regards to our faithfulness. And the first thing that we need to understand is, is that what God is going to tell us is a mystery because a lot of people don't catch it. And number two, it goes against human logic to live this way. But the mystery is, is that I want you to live differently than the world does. And there are two things that as a Christian we ought to be doing that's different than the world if we want to be faithful. So number one, it means that we need to hold on loosely to some things. We need to hold on loosely to some things. When Paul says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, we need to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? And while the kingdom of God in some ways is being inaugurated right now as we speak, as people are coming to know Jesus, as as the Spirit of God is falling upon us as His people, uh, we are experiencing it in an already-but-not-yet kind of way. Because on the great and glorious day of Christ's return, the kingdom of God will be inaugurated. Jesus Christ will be our king. He will be enthroned on the greatest throne of all of the universe. And for all of eternity, we will live in fellowship and in worship with the God of the universe. But what is put at the door of heaven is a sign. And that sign says flesh and blood cannot come in. Something needs to change. There needs to be a transformation that takes place. Well, let's understand this right away. If flesh and blood can't make it in without being changed, what are some other things that can't make it into the kingdom of heaven? Well, the Bible tells us over and over again that everything we have in this world, in fact, all that isn't contained in the world, Second Peter chapter 3 tells us, will burn up. It will be destroyed. What he says is that it will be refined and a new heaven and a new earth will be created and it will be a place of perfection and the old will be gone and the new will be inaugurated in and that new will also involve our bodies. But the only thing that's talked about that is going to make it through that burning is our bodies. Because Christ, before that great uh, refining process takes place, will, will take us and rescue us from the grave and, and put on immortality for ourselves. And, and as a result of that, we will enter into glory. We will enter into eternity with new resurrected bodies. And that's great to understand. That's great to know. But here's what we need to know about the mystery. The mystery is that's all that's heading into eternity. And so the things that we have to hold on to loosely are all the things that we clamor for in this world. We need to recognize this morning that the things that we labor for, the things that we yearn for and covet when our neighbor has them, whether it's clothing, whether it's cars, whether it's homes, whether it's vacations, whether it's money, all of these things, what, P, uh, what Paul is saying is, they aren't getting into the new age of eternity. So hold on to these things loosely. And one of the things that the Corinthian church needed to know is the same truth that we as a church need to know today, is that far too many of us, including your pastor, hold on to the things of this world with a closed fist instead of an open hand. And we recognize it, and you know it, when those things that you hold on to too tightly, when they sometimes get out of your grasp, you'll do everything in your power to keep them close. You may even find yourself in times of sin as a result of trying to grab and hold on to things that are so dear. And what Paul is saying is, listen... If you want to understand the mystery of what God wants for us in our journey here on life, then we walk through this life as aliens and sojourners, Peter tells us. That we walk through this journey not holding on to our 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years on earth so tightly, but that we recognize we're just passing through this place. And that the more important thing are human lives, the more important thing are souls. And if we are holding on too tightly to the things of this world, then we will never have time to invest in what truly is going to be inherited in the kingdom of God, and that is souls who have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that Paul wants us to recognize is if you're going to have eternity on your mind, you can't live in the now and live in eternity at the same time. Now, I want to be really careful in what I'm saying here. Am I telling you to get rid of all you have and go find a side of a mountain and just wait for God? No, God says we can have things. God says, as we learned weeks ago here, that we can enjoy everything that He gives But we should never allow those things to displace our relationship with God. We should never grab a hold of these things as if they are an end, or they are the end of the means that, if you will, of what we've been searching after. Our pursuit should never be in the things of this world. Jesus put it this way. He says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I had a neighbor growing up, he was older than I was, and he would always say, the one with the most toys wins, and he was on track to win that. He had a boat, he had snowmobiles, he had four-wheelers, he had everything. and, And he said, man, I just want to be able to get as much stuff as I can. And he will, he's a rich guy, he will inevitably have all that he could want. I was over at my parents' the other day, and he lives next door to my parents, and, and, and he had a brand new truck. And, and I said, boy, that's, that's a great truck. And he says, well, the only problem is, is it will be old in a year. This guy, he wants the best of everything. And at the heart of it, there's nothing wrong with desiring things, but his end result is I want the best of things because the, con- the containment of all of who I am, the fulfillment of all of who I am is contained in what I possess. Well, here's the problem when we hold on to the things of this world too tightly. We will stand before Jesus one day and we will watch it burn. And we'll have nothing left. And we'll stand before the Lord and we'll say, Everything that I sh- strived for in life, everything that I pursued in this life, it's gone. And, g- and God wants us to say, That's okay. Because that stuff wasn't important. That stuff wasn't the end game. What was important is my relationship with you. What was important is me sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So he says, don't hold on too tightly to these things. Hold on loosely to the things of this world. They're not going to be inherited into the kingdom of God. But what should we do? We should hope in glory. So Paul says, listen, the end result is that the world... Is going to fall apart so stop getting this idea that you're going to get every morsel out of this life by pursuing the things of this world and notice what he says behold I tell you a mystery verse 51 we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed there's a moment coming Paul says and that moment is a glorious one it is a moment that will be like no other moment that we've ever experienced in all of our lives. It is a moment that will happen in what is said, a twinkling of an eye. It will happen so quickly we won't have ever seen it coming. And in that moment, we will stand before the Lord and we will be changed and eternity will begin. And, and, and in that moment, we will stand before God and be judged for what we did in the body. And what Jesus is is articulating at His coming is, listen, when I come, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And what I want you as Christians, as Christ followers to do, is to live for that moment, not this moment. That everything that we do, that every part of our life is always thinking about eternity in mind. That we're not living just for the moment this is not carpe diem what the idea here is that we live in this moment and we do our best in this moment but we reason why we do our best in this moment and work hard in this moment and enjoy this moment is because there's a moment that's going to come that's going to take our breath away so let's not lose our salvation if you will on the things of this world and forfeit heaven as a result because there's a moment coming where we will be changed we were recently at our home watching a uh, movie of superheroes and my my son luke my youngest uh, finished up the movie and he turned around in his raspy little voice he said dad wouldn't it be great if we all had superhero powers for the next 20 minutes i tried to convince him that i was the hulk and uh, he didn't buy it but he said dad i want to be that i want to do those things and And I hearkened him back to this passage that one day we will be unlike what we are today. We will be changed. And while you think it's great to be a superhero, what Jesus is going to do to us is going to take our breath away. It's going to be such an awesome sight The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for His people. Listen, the best is yet to come. To quote a 1970 rock band, Bachman Turner Overdrive, they said, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then my favorite part, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's something, it's something you're never going to forget. And then he goes again, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Christian, recognize this is not your home recognize the life that we have here is but a dot on the long line of eternity. Look to what God has prepared for His people. Do not forfeit that for the things of this world, the lowly things of this world, and turn away from the righteous and glorious God who has a great day planned for you. That's the mystery. Live in light of eternity today. Now he moves on and he says, okay, we're on this journey. A change is going to take place and we've looked forward. Now he wants us to look back. And he goes on in, in verse 54 and he says, now when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives the victory through our lord jesus christ now the question is how can we be faithful until that day we are changed how can we be faithful in this life until the next life the answer is modeled in jesus christ jesus christ was faithful Jesus Christ put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself in the nature of a servant. He put on flesh and he walked and talked with us and he lived a life of perfection amidst all kinds of temptation, amidst all kinds of turmoil and trials and tribulations. And he went to the cross to die for you and me. He has modeled what faithfulness looks like. And what I want you to see this morning is that I believe that what Christ did enabled something in us. So let's look at a couple things that Christ did. Number one, when when Christ went to the cross and brought victory, sin was conquered. Sin was conquered. And what we need to recognize is, is he says, Listen, death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law and it 's gone now now, what does that mean, and what does sin have to do with us and our faithfulness? Well, I want you to know this morning that sin keeps us from being faithful. Sin causes us to look at ourselves and not others. Sin causes us to pursue our desires instead of the decrees of God. Sin is what puts us in a place of being faithless. And what Jesus has done by going to the cross, by bringing victory, He has done a number of things. He has taken the sinner and made him a saint. He has taken that which is is crimson, and He has made it as white as snow. He's taken our sins that are in front of us, and He's nailed them to the cross. There's much that the cross has done for us, but one thing the cross did that we don't talk much about, is that the cross enables we who are faithless, to become faithful. It enables us who are not trustworthy to become trusted. It allows us to fulfill all that God requires in us, because He has empowered us by His holy Spirit to be able to do that. And so we need to recognize what has been conquered is our inability to be faithful. Now, in a new relationship with Jesus Christ, the believer is able to accomplish what God has for you and I. We're able to accomplish what God demands of us, what He requires of us. And so what Paul goes on and he says is, okay, now that sin has been conquered, what is our posture? What should we do? Notice, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus has brought the victory, in verse 56, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and moveable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So let's understand this. Now that Christ has taken care of our sin, we now notice that sin is conquered, we can be steadfast and not cower. Now before Christ... Died and was resurrected when Christ was arrested the disciples were unfaithful they were his closest compatriots his companions and when Jesus is arrested they're scared and they're totally movable they run for three days they live without hope they're full of fear they're full of dread men who had exercised demons, men who had healed people of diseases, men who had seen Jesus do things that could not be explained only by the truth that He was the Son of God, now found themselves disowning Jesus even to young children. They were faithless. But those same disciples, three days later, after seeing the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, cease to be faithless individuals. And what we've learned and what we'll come back to after Easter Sunday is the book of Acts, a a chronicling of the story of these faithless men now being faithful. And one of the first things that being faithful is, is being immovable in the fact that God has changed my life. I have been changed by the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And now the Holy Spirit lives and resides in me. Now I no longer have to cower in fear. I don't have to run in fright because I have been changed by the great Savior of the world. And so we see these same men who now are going about, whether before peasants or rulers, preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's what faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness says, amidst whatever trouble, amidst whatever opposition, I will remain true, I will remain steadfast for the One who has done so very much for me what does that look like? Notice he goes on. He says, okay, you're going to be steadfast and immovable. And what that posture is going to allow you is you're going to abound. You will continually, you will abundantly live a life in the work of the Lord. Now, there's a couple of things you need to recognize. First of all, service is going to be our calling. To be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ in this life, is not to hold on tightly to the things of this world, but to release the idea that I have to have everything that my neighbors have, I need to have everything that advertisers tell me I need, and I'm going to focus in, and I'm going to live a life of service for the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that you volunteer for everything at church. What that means is, I am going to do what the God who has saved me calls me to. I'm going to do what in essence I'm going to be called to do in glory. And that is, faithfully serve my God for all of eternity. And I'm getting 70, 80, 90 years on this earth to practice this craft. Now, a couple of things about this that we need to know. Notice he says, abounding in the work of the Lord. Write these uh, three things down just aside. Number one, it's essential. It is a work. It's essential. What it means is, is God's got a certain work for you to do, and He's called you to do it. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't um, just something you can think about. God, our boss, God, our master, says, I've got a job for you to do. And if you want to be in good standing with your master, with your boss, you'll do the things that he's called you to. It's an essential work. Number two, it's not easy. I want you to notice that no translation translates the following this way. He he doesn't say, um, abounding in the fun of the Lord. He doesn't say abounding in the vacation of the Lord, abounding in watching the TV of the Lord, abounding in the relaxation of the Lord. He uses the word work. It's toiling. It's striving. It means you're going to sweat. You're going to have to do work maybe when others are having a good time. What I want you to recognize this morning is because we hold on to things loosely and because we hope in glory, while the world is enjoying the party that is this life here on earth, we're busy at work. We're about doing the work that God has called us to. And so while people are fraternizing, while people seemingly are enjoying the party, there is a work to be done. This, uh, yesterday, I uh, was preparing for my sermon, and I went out to get the mail. And two neighbors down, every year, they throw a big St. Patrick's Day um, party. And they're a loud, boisterous group, great neighbors, wonderful time. And and I kind of, with great jealousy, said, man, I wish I didn't have to put a sermon together. I sure looks like fun over there, right? And then they did the unthinkable. Hey, Tim, come on over. We're having a great time. And then I really wanted to go. And then they hearkened to the baser things of life and said, We got all kinds of food over here. And I was like, Lord, that's a sign. The sermon will wait, right? But I knew that it's Saturday and Sunday's a-coming, right? And I knew that I couldn't stand before you and, and say, listen, I had all intentions and plans to have a sermon prepared for you fine people, but my neighbors invited me to a party. Now listen, I'm not in any way demagoguing my neighbors in any way. Lovely people and very welcoming. But the world is inviting us to a party in this life. And the world is saying to us, hey, come on over. Enjoy what we've got going on. Let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. And our response needs to be, well, that that sounds great. And in some ways, I I really got to fight that temptation, because when tomorrow dies, I'm going to meet my Maker. When I stand before my maker, I'm going to have to give an account for what I've done. Have I worked? Now again, please don't take me the wrong way. Should we enjoy ourselves? Should we have a good party? Absolutely. But listen, we always have to do that with eternity in mind. And God's called us to a work. And sometimes that work is going to conflict with the world's play, and we're going to have to say, I've got work to do. And so I announced back to him, send some food over. The preacher isn't done with his sermon yet. They didn't do it. They were faithless. Okay? And so Paul wants us to understand these things, that Jesus has done this work for us. We can be faithful because of His finished work on the cross. God has given us the mystery of life, the meaning of life, that life is not contained in the uh, decades of years we have on this earth. And now what he wants to articulate, and, and right away you would say, well, the chapter ends. We'll recognize that when Paul's writing this, he doesn't stop and say chapter 16. We've added that to help pastors be able to tell you where we're going to be. But Paul continues on, and notice right off the bat, he says, listen, what's going to take place, what you're doing, you're going to feel like you're missing out. You're going to feel like you are the guy that isn't at the party. And you're going to start wondering, is it all worth it? And notice before chapter 16 begins, God gives this word to us. Knowing, having trust in, having the ability to know and experience that the work we do for the Lord will not be in vain. What God is telling you, Christian, is that you and I are going to work hard in this life for the kingdom of God. We are told in the Lord's prayer, or I'm sorry, in the, in the Lord's uh, uh, sermon on the mount, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And so there's a lot of other things we can seek, but God says seek his kingdom first. But the question that we always ask is, but what about this? And what about that? And, and all those things. And Jesus says, but listen, don't worry about those things because all those things shall be added unto you. I'll take care of those things. You make your priority to follow me and to seek my kingdom first and what god says is when we work for him when we strive for him when we live with eternity in mind we will not labor in vain we will not get to heaven listen take this to the bank you will not get to heaven and be like well this isn't what i thought it was going to be if i knew this was all we had then i would have lived it up on earth Brothers and sisters, heaven will be so glorious. Heaven will take our breath away. That whatever we forfeited, whatever we turned away from in this world, we will say on that great and glorious day, it was worth it. And we need to recognize that. And we need to live like that. If we're going to be faithful. And on that day when He comes, will He find faithfulness? Well, we've got to respond. I've got a couple minutes left, so let's address this. We need to respond. And how do we respond? We respond with generosity. Paul then moves and again no chapter breaks no chapter divisions he just keeps talking now concerning the collection for the saints as I've Directed the churches of Galatia So you also are to do on the first day of every week each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may Prosper so that there is no will be no collecting when I come and when I arrive I will send those you accredit credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem if this seems advisable that I should go also They will accompany me. The way we respond to the mystery that God has taught us about, that this life is not our home, and it's not the sum total of our existence, and when we recognize what Christ has done, there is a response that wells up within us, and it's a response of generosity. And I want you to recognize today that generosity and giving, listen, should always be connected to the gospel. It should always be connected to the gospel. So let me just speak to someone who's thinking right now, all right, pastor's put on a good guilt trip this morning, and now he's going for my pocketbook. Nope, I'm not. The only thing I'm going to share with you is, number one, God is speaking first and foremost to followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, can I make something abundantly clear to you? God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want it. Put your money away. He doesn't want it. What he wants is your obedience. And the first step of obedience is bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. So he doesn't want your money. But what he says is listen, what I desire of my followers is just as I have given and just as my son has given. The totality of the Christian life, the totality of the gospel is generosity personified in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Notice what's been given up to this point. Notice, uh, first of all, that the first thing that is given in connection with the gospel is first, it is a father and son duo type thing taking place. He says, all right, God has given to us. Well, how has God given to us? Notice, God is going to give us what? Verse 50. He's going to give us an inheritance. You are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so God says, on that great and glorious day, the Father of heaven says, listen, I am going to open up my treasury, and on that great and glorious day, I am going to offer you my inheritance. You will be here, and all that is mine will be yours. And you will get to enjoy it not for a short season of time. You will enjoy it for all of eternity. So God is this giver. And notice Jesus is a giver as well. But thanks be to God who gives, verse 57, who gives what? Us victory. So God the Father gives. God the Son gives. And God is modeling to us generosity. And so why do we give? Why do we give a portion of the money that we have at church? Because the church needs it? That's not the reason. Do we do it so we can take care of the staff? No, that's not the reason. Do we do it because there's a need? No, that's not the reason. The reason why we give unto the Lord, why every follower of Jesus Christ should be setting something aside, is because God the Father promises you an inheritance one day. And God the Son did what you could not do on your own. He rescued you from hell and has given you eternal life through His blood. And what He now says is, I want you to be a giving individual. Just as my Father is a giving God. Just as I am a giving God. I want my people to be a giving people. And the reason why we give is because we have been given to. That's what makes... Listen... That's what makes our family celebrations at Christmas so glorious, right? I give and I enjoy it. I thought that being a child that Christmas was the greatest thing in the world until I became a father. I love to give gifts. And what I've learned in my parents is that they give way more gifts to their grandchildren than they ever did to their own children. Giving is fun. Giving is a blessing. Giving allows us to tell people we love them. Well, how are we to do it? How is this giving to take place? Notice that it is to be collected. Okay, so God has prescribed for His people to be givers. Well, how is it to be collected? How is it to go be uh, collected for the people of God? Well, notice He gives uh, guidelines. It's to be collected according to biblical guidelines. So God's revealed this mystery of life that we can see life through His lens. Jesus has given us salvation and victory because of His death, burial, and resurrection. Now we get to respond and give back to the Lord. And we would say, well, I give back in prayer. Amen. I give back in worship. Amen. I give back in Bible study. Amen. I give back in acts of service. Amen. But at some point, God says, because He knows how near and dear... Our money and our treasure is to our hearts that we are called to give that and he says okay how do we collect that how do we uh, bring that about well notice a couple of things it should be a priority it should be a priority notice there's a collection that's going to take place and it's to happen on the first day of every week when you gather together the people of the Corinthian church when you gather together It is to be a priority. Write that down in your outlines. Giving should be a priority. When I come into the house of God, I I am not coming just to receive. I am coming to bring an offering unto the Lord. And it's an offering of my spirit. It's an offering of my time. It's an offering of my talents. It's an offering of my treasure. And yet some of us say, you can have my time. I'll give you an hour and a half. You can have my talents. I'll volunteer once a year. You can have my thoughts. You can do all of that. But you won't touch my money. Well, listen, I don't want to touch your money. But God wants to know, do I have all of you? Will you be faithful in all these things? And so our giving is an opportunity to say, God, you're a priority. God, you're important to me. Number two, it should be planned. Notice he goes on and he says, each of you is to put something aside. Okay, first day of the week, I'm going to come, bringing something, and I'm going to plan. I'm going to put something aside. I'm going to have a decision. And so listen, if you came this morning... With no plan to give, Paul would say, don't give. Don't give because I, I, I played your heartstrings, if you will, and you're like, well, now I feel guilty. No, go home, and next week you sit before the Lord, and you ask the Lord, Lord, in light of all that you've done, what are you asking of me? What are you calling of me with regards to not just my giving, but all of my life? And I will tell you, the Lord will declare those things to you. And yet you can give. It should be planned. Notice it should be personal. It should be personal. Notice he says, each one of you. It doesn't say your pastor. It doesn't say the apostle. It says each of one of you needs to determine that. So we all need to go to our homes and we need to ask the question, in light of God, all that you have done, God, what are you requiring of Tim and, and by proxy the rest of the Bidol family? And, and I will tell you this, and I say this with all humility but Amanda and I early on made a decision that if we truly want to proclaim and tell people that God is our all in all, that our number one priority will be giving back to the Lord. And I've shared this before, but the largest expense that we have on any given month is our giving back to the Lord. Because I don't want anybody to ever look at my checkbook and say, you know what, he talked a good game, but when, the, when it really mattered... With what he wrote on that check, did they live that? Now, could I give more? Sure. Could I give less? Sure. But the Lord has dedicated that, and I will tell you, we've never gone hungry, I know you wonder, okay? <laughs> the kids have clothes. Our family's planning on going on a vacation this, this year, I was going to say this year, this week, okay? God's met us. And what I want you to think about and pray about is, God, what are you calling me to? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What, what is my place? It's to be personal. Notice it's to be in proportion with your income. I want you to think about this. God's given you a pie. God's given you a pie. And some of you will say that the pie tin is empty and there's only crumbs. You say, Lord, there's the crumbs. God's saying, I want a piece of the pie. And I would say in proportion with all the other pieces. So if you have portioned out your pie to have ten slices, then a tenth of that pie should go to the Lord. If you've portioned out eight portions, then an eighth of that portion should go to the Lord. And God says, listen, I'll take care of the rest. Don't worry about it. Give me this and I'll take care of the rest. If you're faithful with this, if you're faithful with your money, I will be faithful in meeting your needs and i can't tell you how many people have been faithful to the lord And we've got some videos on our facebook page and our website where people have said we have given and things have come up i think of greg and audrey torrence's uh, video where god has met them amidst long-term hospital stays and issues and struggles and god has met them every step of the way and there are hundreds if not thousands that have experienced that in our midst It needs to be in proportion. And then it needs to be placed in the hands of proven people. People who are accredited. he says. And so here's what I would tell you. If we've not proven our faithfulness in you giving your gifts to the Lord, then tell us. Let us know. Tell us what we're not doing right, how we're not um, spending money in the right way. We want to hear that because we want to be accredited unto the Lord. And if you can't give here because you have concerns about it, that's okay. Give it to someone else that is accredited. Give it to the Lord in another way. And what God says is when we are faithful, He will prove a faithfulness to us like we have never seen. Let me close with this story. A story is told of an 11th century king named Henry III of Bavaria, who had grown tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch. He made application to Father Richard at the local monastery, asking to be accepted into a... contemplative life and to spend the rest of his life in silent in solitude in the monastery your majesty father richard said do you understand that the pledge here is one of total obedience that will be hard for you because you have been a king i understand said king henry the rest of my life i will live in obedience to you as christ leads you then the father said the following then I, tell you, I will tell you what to do, Father Richard said. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. Some of us want to get close with God, and we think we've got to go to far-flung places to accomplish it. The king thought, I need to become a priest to get right with God. God wants us right where we're at, not to quit what we're doing so we can find God, but so that we might be faithful in what we're doing and experience the love and the prospering and the blessing of God right where we're at. That's good counsel for us if we will choose the faithful life instead of the faithless one.